0: Um, and last week I started, started just talking about what does it mean for us to follow Jesus and why is it important. We talked about two things specifically. Uh, when we follow Jesus, He meets us right where we're at. He doesn't ask us to come perfect because there's no way we could. He meets us where we're at and we allow Him to clean us up. We allow Him to make us right. Uh, and He approaches us right where we're at. He does the work. We just get to rest in Him. And secondly, following Jesus requires us to have an understanding of the incredible grace that he has for each one of us. It'd be impossible for us to follow Jesus if we didn't understand that there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do to earn right standing with God. It's only through the incredible grace of Jesus. So we talked about those two things to kind of lay the foundation for what this series is going to look like. So this week... We're going to take it another step further. We're going to talk about another example of what it means to follow Jesus, and these are straight from the mouth of Jesus. So we'll be able to dive in. So turn with me to Matthew chapter sixteen, uh, Matthew chapter sixteen, verses twenty-four and twenty-five. And this is going to be the main passage of text that we're going to be looking at today, um, and we'll kind of be diving in and breaking it apart and. Chewing it, chewing it up a little bit and, and being able to understand what he's saying. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25, and it says, uh, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Some other translations, instead of saying take up your own way, say deny yourself, um, deny himself, take up your cross, and follow me. <clears throat> let's, let's, let's let that marinate a little bit. What does that mean? What is Jesus saying there? And This is in Matthew chapter 16, and just a little context, if you read a little bit before this, uh, Jesus tells his disciples that he is going to die a terrible death on the cross. And there's this back and forth between him and Peter. Uh, and you can read, read that. We're not, we're not necessarily diving into that today. But what we are looking at is Jesus makes it very clear. If we want to be a follower of him, if we want to be a disciple of Christ, what does it mean that we have to do? I love the way the Amplified puts this. I'm going to read it because I think it, it adds a lot of clarity it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to be my disciples, let him deny himself, disregard, lose sight of, and forget himself and his own interests, and take up his cross and follow me. And then in, in parentheses, he says, Cleave steadfastly to me, conform wholly to my example in living and if need in dying also. For whoever is bent on saving his temporal life, his comfort and security here, shall lose it, eternal life, and whoever loses his life, his comfort and security here, for my sake shall find it, life everlasting. I think that adds a lot of context to what Jesus is trying to say. So let's first break this down. So remember, when Jesus is saying this, he's talking to who? His disciples. Yes, he's talking to his disciples. And at this point, you would understand, and you would probably think his disciples have been with him for a good amount of time, that they would be considered followers of Jesus, right? So why does Jesus need to take the time to describe to his followers, his disciples, what it means to follow him? And funny enough, strangely enough, this is actually the second time in the book of Matthew that Jesus refers to this. If you go back to Matthew chapter 10, before Jesus sends out his disciples two by two, he says the same thing, take up your cross and follow me. If anybody wants to follow me, you need to lose your life in order to gain it. So this is the second time that he says this. And I'm I'm sure his disciples kind of looked at him like, haven't we proved ourselves to you that we're followers? We've dropped everything in our life. We've come with you wherever you go. And now you're still telling us what it means to be a follower? Like haven't haven't we shown ourselves worthy enough? to be your follower and and you can imagine after just receiving their news that their teacher their leader is going to die and then he shares this that's that's it's kind of it's kind of heavy stuff right so let's break it down so when Jesus says and this is out of the new living translation but you can use any of it deny himself whatever it may but in the new living it says give up our own way to follow him what does this mean why is it important in our lives What does this mean and why is it important? Think about that. We'll, we'll, We'll dive in and talk about it a little bit later. But what does it mean and why is it important to give up our own way in order to follow him? Secondly, he talks about the need to take up our cross. What does it mean to take up our cross? Why is this significant? We'll talk a little bit more in depth, but just a little background in history on what the cross meant when jesus was saying this so we all know that jesus was crucified right it's well documented it's why we are we believe in him because he died for our sins rose again three days later but what was crucifixion in the days of jesus well it was capital punishment right People were sent to be crucified because they did something they shouldn't do. Now that could range from a wide range of things, but crucifixion actually didn't, didn't just start when Jesus was crucified. It actually started about 600 years before Jesus was crucified and lasted uh, for about 400 years after. Uh, so you can imagine this horrible thing. And when people thought of a cross, it's not like today. When we think of a cross, people put it on a necklace, You know, it's the symbol, right? We think of it as Christians as a a, a symbol of what Jesus did for us. But back then, a cross meant death. That's all it meant. If you were on a cross, it means that you were destined to die. And not just die, but you were to die in a very public, really remorseful, ugly way. In most cases, you would have to carry the crossbeam of your cross on your back. No uh other situations you know like jesus carried the entire cross but oftentimes you would have the cross beam on your arms and you'd have to you know through all of your muck and you'd have to carry that cross and then as people are watching you they would nail you know obviously you all know how the crucifixion goes i don't need to get into any gory details but it's it was a very public display of death right it was a very public display of this person is not worthy, they deserve to die, for whatever reason, right? So the cross to the disciples, when Jesus says, take up your cross, that only means one thing. It means that if you want to follow me, you got to be ready to die. And again, not long after this, what does Peter do? He denies even knowing Jesus. So he's he's not to that place yet of taking up his cross and, and feeling comfortable to do that. So the disciples would have been well-versed in what it meant to take up their cross. And we'll dive into a little bit more of the significance of what this looks like in our personal lives. Obviously, crucifixion is not a thing any longer today. Um, but there are some parallels that we can, we can draw between our own lives and what Jesus is trying to articulate in this passage of Scripture. One of the last things he says, and this is in verse 25 in Matthew 16, If you hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. That's a deep, deep, deep saying. And I also will kind of wrap up the service today talking about what that means. So let's start with that first portion though. Looking at what does it mean to give up our own way or deny deny yourself. what, What does that look like? So I think we can all agree that in today's society, uh, the word self is used everywhere. Self-help, self-care, self-identify. We have selfies to take pictures of yourself. They made sticks so you can actually take a picture of yourself easier, right? You could say that in the world today, there's a lot of focus on our self, right? If you look at the word selfish, the root of it is Self. You are concerned about yourself. And Jesus is saying in Matthew 16, 24, to give up our own our own way means that we are not concerned about ourself. And in society today, it's really hard, right? You can think about so many people. You just gotta grind, you gotta get your own, you gotta you gotta push, you gotta do all these things in your career, in your life, and you gotta make a name for yourself, right? Who are you? Right? That's what it is. That's the culture that we live in today, that it's all self-motivated, self-driven. And Jesus is saying, as a follower of him, we need to get the focus off of ourselves and get the focus on others. How did we get to where we are today as a society? You know, as, as a child, you are concerned about one thing yourself. Lila wakes up every morning. She's two and a half. I, if I'm sitting on the couch, she will come and she will sit next to me and she'll say, Lila wants yogurt. She hasn't figured out the word I, but she'll say, Lila wants yogurt. It'll be 6 15 in the morning. She'll come and the first thing she'll say is not, Good morning, Daddy. How are you? No, it's Lila wants yogurt. She wants what she wants. She is concerned about herself. She's two and a half. That's all she knows. But it's great because as you see your kids grow and develop, Graham, my 10-year-old, yes, is he still, are there still moments in his life where he is concerned about himself? Yes, but it's great to see him start to grow and be concerned for others. And Jesus asks the same thing from us, right? He asks us, if you look at the way our society has changed... Even in the last twenty years, from think of Y two K, everyone thought the world was going to end because all the computers were going to shut down. Couldn't go from nineteen ninety nine to two thousand. Oh, good thing nothing happened, right? Uh, to where we are now, social media, all the things that are out there in the world, the TikToks, the Instagram, you know, Facebook seems like it's a thing of the past now. Like it's one of the older social media platforms. Like everything is about. Self. I, in fact, I was talking to somebody, you know, like the the social media bullying that happens now. People don't just walk up to like if you want to pick on a kid in high school anymore. You don't just walk up and say, you know, say something you shouldn't say. No, it's all done through Snapchat now, right? Like it's all there's there's our our society has changed so drastically. Everyone is going for the next post that gets more likes because if they get more likes, they feel validated about themselves. They're so concerned about themselves instead of concerned about others And if you look at the ministry of Jesus you know talking about giving up your own way that was how he lived he lived in service of others all the way up until the moment that he died right and that doesn't mean that sometimes it wasn't easy remember when he was in the garden he's sweating blood And he says, Lord, if you can, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. Jesus was here in service of others. And the world today is in an identity crisis. Wouldn't you all agree? So many people don't know who they are anymore. They don't know what job to do. It's wild to me, I I heard a statistic, don't quote me exactly on this, but the average time that somebody is at a job nowadays is like two years, because they don't know what they want to do, I like this job, oh no, never mind, no, I'm going to run and go chase after this, no, no, I'm going to go and run and chase after this, the average person, because they don't know who they are, they have this identity crisis, right, thankfully I've been at Target 17 years, it's kind of unheard of. But, you know, like it it is true, like in our society today, especially in our younger people, you can see that it's this, I don't know who I am, where I fit, where I belong. Because we're so focused on me. We're so focused on where I fit, where I belong. And I'm not saying that's not important. You need to find the place that you do fit in church, in a community, in a friend group, But we've become so self-aware that we've lost the focus on what others need. We start looking at a situation, how it impacts us first, before it impacts other people. Right? And I'm not here to beat us down. I'm just saying these are the facts of the world that we're living in right now. And to follow Jesus, it means that we need to give up our own way. And the thing about Jesus, if we look at him just for a second as an example... There were a lot of times that he could have chosen his way, but he always looked to the Father for guidance. He always looked for instruction on what he was supposed to do next. He was always led by the Spirit. He wasn't led by his flesh. You can look at a couple different situations where Jesus actually put himself out there in situations that he knew would be looked down looked down upon it from the society I can I'll show you three you don't have to turn there but if you look at John chapter 4 John chapter 4 he goes and he has this incredible encounter with a woman in Samaria they went the, him and the disciples actually went out of their way to go have this discussion with this woman but the thing is is Jews didn't interact with Samaritans in fact I'm sure there were a lot of people that said you're a Jew why are you here Yet he knew that is where he needed to go. He was in service of someone else. The second example, Matthew chapter 8. What does Jesus do? He heals a leper. And if you think about lepers, all, all he had to do was touch you. But lepers, they, were, they had to walk up to people and say, unclean, unclean, so people could get away from them. Jesus wasn't afraid of that. Can you imagine the look of people when Jesus walked up to this leper and touched them? Like, oh my goodness, what is going to happen to you? He didn't care. He wasn't in service of himself. He was in service of someone else. The last example is in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus goes in on the Sabbath and heals a man with a withered hand in front of the Pharisees. Who said, you can't work on the Sabbath. He didn't care. He was in service of others. He was in service of others. It it didn't matter. It didn't matter what other people thought about him. It didn't. What mattered was that he did the will of the Father. He followed where the Spirit was leading him. And I would challenge you today. When you have tough situations come up in your life, when you have moments that you don't know what to do, What's your instinct? Is your instinct to run to the Father? Or is your instinct to go, I need to figure this out. I'm, I'm, I'm late on my bills. I don't know how to do it. I'm just going to get three more jobs and I'm going to figure it out. You can do that and you're going to be exhausted. Oh, I don't know how to navigate this relationship with this person. I'm just never going to talk to him again. You could do that and have no friends. You need to seek the Father first. Know His will be led by Him because when you do, your eyes will be opened to how your focus gets taken off of yourself and is put on every single person that you need to interact with. Think about it. If you're in situations where you are so self-driven and self-focused that you can't see the needs of others around you, you're going to miss opportunities that the Lord has put you in to use you mightily for the kingdom of God. Maybe he's put you in a place to use your authority to cast out a demon or something that that person needs. And if you're so focused on yourself that you miss it, that person is missing that opportunity. Now, I believe the Lord would bring somebody else along, but he wants to use us. But in order to use us, we have to have our focus off of ourselves and have our focus put on others. Paul writes in Galatians, that when we belong to Christ, we have literally nailed our own passions and desires of our sinful past sinful nature to the cross. Galatians 5.24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature. That we don't need to... All of those things, all of self, all of that stuff has been nailed to the cross. Our focus needs to be on those around us. If you see somebody in need, don't walk by them and go, how am I going to pay my bills if I help that person? Do you not trust that the Lord's going to take care of you? Something my mom always says, and I love it, we need to lean, trust, and rely on Him in His ways instead of our own on His ways. C.S. Lewis famously said this. He said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. It's a powerful statement. When we keep our eyes focused on heaven, when we keep our eyes focused on Him, not only are we going to get what the Lord wants and what the Lord promises us, but we are going to have an impact on the earth around us, on the people around us, not on ourselves, on the people around us. If we are so focused on ourselves, we won't get any of it. Being a follower of Jesus means that His way is better than our way 100% of the time. Not 90%, 100% of the time. Even when it doesn't make sense. His way is better than our way. Galatians 2.20 My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Trusting. If we want to get our focus off of ourself, we need to fully trust, lean, rely on Him to be our provider. Because when we do that, we then are able to get our focus off ourself and get it on other people. All right. Secondly, let's look at what it means to take up our cross. What does this mean? So again, we talked about earlier, to take up your cross in those days truly meant death. And while none of us are going to ever be physically crucified, there is, there is this context that is attached to what our lives are like today. So again, those that were crucified in the early church era, they were mocked, they were scorned, humiliated. Oftentimes before they were crucified, they were scourged and beaten. They were ridiculed, you could even say. It was public. It was embarrassing because they had to live out their sin publicly in front of everyone. Imagine If you committed a sin and you had to walk out in front of everybody saying, I lied today. I lied today. How's it going? I lied today. no, None of us would ever want to sin again, right? That would be embarrassing. It would be terrible. But that was what it was like. Because if you're walking through the town carrying a cross, people would say, Oh, what would that guy do? He must have done something real bad. And imagine, I grew up in a small town. Reputation spread like wildfire. The rumor, the rumor mill. Right? Did you hear about John? Did you hear what he did? Oh, he even got crucified. And just—it's like telephone. The thing just keeps going on and on and on. So you, it was—it was a horrible way, not just to die, but you died humiliated, right? They were again—they were ridiculed for something they have done. Have you ever been ridiculed because of your faith? Have you ever been put in a place where somebody mocks you, teases you, makes fun of you, puts you down because of your faith in Jesus? I know I have. I was actually just telling somebody last week about a situation that happened when I was in high school. Now if it happened, I I would probably would have ended up very differently, but it was a horrible thing. Horrible thing. Absolutely awful. Mocked because I was a Christian. Because I was open about my faith. I was mocked for following Jesus horrible it it was it was a terrible situation Jesus tells us that stuff's gonna happen though when we follow Jesus when we choose to follow Jesus he doesn't tell us that it's just gonna be rainbows and sunshine the rest of our life he tells us there's gonna be tough times he tells us you're going to be persecuted for following me. people are gonna look differently at you because you follow me you can see that in today's society You can probably think of several examples in your head of recent times where somebody who is a Christian stands up for their faith and gets ridiculed for it. Ridiculed for it. So when Jesus says that we need to take up our cross, it doesn't mean physically today, but it does mean that you have to be ready to know that there are going to be times when people don't agree with you being a Christian whether at work, in your family. Man, Thanksgiving dinner time can get real interesting if, you don't, if you've got folks that are there that disagree with you, that try to convince you otherwise. Oh, following Jesus, that's silly. Why would you do that? That's, this, this book, oh, it's just a book, right? Absolutely not. When we follow Jesus, we need to be able to not only Walk through that and navigate that, but come out on the other side stronger. In America, in the United States, we've got it really good, though. From an from a actual persecution standpoint, Christians can worship freely. We can gather here at Glory Church freely without the fear of the government coming in or the police coming in or somebody else coming in and arresting all of us, right? Other countries, however, they have to meet in secret. You have to sneak Bibles into the country just so people have a physical copy of the Bible. Talk about persecution. Talk about being hard to be a Christian there. Some of the uh, uh, uh Shri's brother, they're missionaries in uh, West Africa. The country they go to is over 90% Muslim. Talk about being a, min- a minority when you're trying to spread the gospel in a, in a country where your beliefs and ideals are not the norm. Most people in the United States could say, oh, do you know who Jesus is? Oh, yeah, I know who Jesus is. There are some countries where people don't even know who Jesus is. Talk about being persecuted. And I'm not saying there aren't times that we will be persecuted for our faith here in the United States. But globally, there are people who die because they're Christians. Still Today. It's not something that just happened to, you know, the people in the past. There are people today that are shot, killed brutally because they believe in Jesus. Are you willing to take up your cross, accept what it means to take up your cross? Even the disciples, after hearing this, many of them were persecuted for their faith, died for their faith. Taking up your cross truly means this. It means dying to ourselves. Understanding that we can't do it our own and following him. Dying to ourselves. What does it mean to die to yourself? It means that, just like we were talking about, that you aren't concerned about yourself. Steve says it very well. This life is a vapor in the grand scheme of eternity. Eternal focus is our focus. Because we know whether we die today, we die, we die in 30 years, or maybe we just all get raptured out of here. I'm believing that's what's going to happen. Uh, our focus is eternal. We win in the end, right? So when we take up our cross and we know that this is going to happen, we know that right now this might really stink. But our focus is eternal. Our focus is Worshipping the King of Kings every day for the rest of eternity. How cool is that? When we think about what this life is and how it is truly just a vapor. And the other thing that goes with that is when we are persecuted, you need to be really rooted and grounded to defend your faith. You need to know how to defend your faith when someone challenges you. I think, Sarah, you maybe were a part of these. They used to have apologetics classes that you could go to to learn what it's like to defend your faith, to know how to defend your faith when somebody challenges you, when somebody questions you, when somebody persecutes you. How to defend your faith. And not defend your faith. I'm going to shove my faith back at you. But how do you defend your faith in a loving way? Because if you look at Jesus, the only time that he was maybe a little forceful was when he was defending himself against the religious folks. When he was talking to somebody that didn't know Christ, he was as gentle as could be. Right? We need to have the same approach. If somebody doesn't know Jesus, and they're saying, how can you believe that? Don't list all the ten reasons why they're a horrible person for not following Jesus. Let me tell you, that's not going to win them over to Christ. It's not. Steve, has it ever been productive? Any, any, any stories where you've tried? No. Jesus wouldn't have done that either. He would have approached the situation with a ton of grace and in love. You don't know people's stories. You don't know what's happened to them. So when they come, if you are you faced to that situation, or maybe you're being persecuted, don't respond in a way that isn't Christ-like. Again, it's not productive. It's not going to be a productive conversation. Respond in a way that allows them to see Jesus through you. We all have Jesus living inside of us. We can respond that way. We don't have to respond snarky. So when someone challenges you, know how to defend your faith, but in a loving way. 1 Peter three fifteen through 17 it says, Instead... You must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. And he says, But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear, then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants, then to suffer for doing wrong. Do it in a gentle and respectful way. We know the truth. All of us know the truth. Be ready to defend your faith when you need to. When someone questions you, maybe publicly, I don't know all of y'all, if you're in Zoom meetings or whatever it may be. I know I sit through Not as many anymore, but in the past three years, I sat through a lot of Zoom meetings. And you get into some pretty meaty topics sometimes, personal things. And and in those situations, there's a lot of opportunities to share your faith. Maybe not explicitly, like, I know the solution to your problem. Dedicate your life to Jesus Christ, right? You could do that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But oftentimes, it starts by building a relationship with that person, even if maybe they're not ready to receive in that moment, building those relationships, building their trust. And then when the Lord leads you to sharing the love of God with them, sharing what Jesus can do for them, responding in a gentle and respectful way, gracious way. Jesus never promised that our life as Christians would be easy. He never did. He never said it's going to be easy. But what he did say was in John 15, 18 through 20, if the world hates you, Remember, it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. God's grace is sufficient to carry us through any situation in our life. His grace will carry us through any persecution, any hardship, whatever it may be. His grace will carry us through that. And there, you can expect, this is just real talk, that as a Christian, there are going to be people that don't like you. That are, that are not going to be, yay, you're a Christian and celebrating you. It's just a reality of the world that we live in today. And are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? How should we respond in those situations? What are the two commandments Jesus gave us? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Even if that person isn't your physical neighbor, they are your neighbor. So if they don't like you, that doesn't mean you don't get to like them. Love them. Show them the love of God. That is what He would want us to do. That's being a follower of Jesus. There's another famous quote that I've heard many, many times. Many of you have probably heard this. It says, Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Amen. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. That's powerful, right? Our lives should be a living, breathing example of the Gospel. That God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that none shall perish, but all should have eternal life. That's the Gospel. That's the Gospel. So allow your life to preach the Gospel. And only when you have to, use words. I want to start to close by looking at the last thing that says in, that Jesus says in, in Matthew 16, verse 25. What does it mean to lose our life? And like I had mentioned earlier in Matthew chapter 10, 38-39, it says, If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give your life up for me, you will find it. I read this, this quote, uh, this week, and I thought it depicted this really, really well. You don't lose a seed when you plant it. For all of you that have gardens, you don't lose a seed when you plant it, how, though it seems dead and buried. Instead, you set the seed free to be what it always was intended to be. So when we think about our life with Christ, sometimes you might think, Oh, I became, you know, there's, there's people that think, oh, you're a Christian. Oh, you can't have any fun. You can't go and do all the fun things. You can't go and what, insert whatever thing you want to think about. Oh, you're a Christian. You don't get to do any of that stuff. When we follow, choose to follow Christ, we choose to leave our old life behind. We are a new creature in Christ Jesus, right? We choose to leave our old life behind. And if you try to cling to that old life and still follow Jesus, it's like you've got one foot in and one foot out, one foot in and one foot out, right? You can't do it. Anybody ever tried to straddle a boat, like you're getting into a boat or you're trying to hold the boat for a trailer and you got one foot on the trailer, one foot on the dock, and then wind comes and the boat slowly starts to sink away and you start to slowly do the splits. I can't do the splits, so I avoid that situation. But I've done, it's happened to me before, eventually you're going to fall in because you're going to go, I can't stretch any further. The boat's floating away. I need to make a decision. Get in the boat. Jump in. Leave the old behind. Now, when Jesus is saying this, in order to gain your life, you need to lose it. It might mean that you lose your life for the sake of the gospel. There are plenty of people in history, and we've talked about that, that have lost their life because they're followers of Jesus. Jesus. I also believe that he's telling us that in order to truly follow him, to be led by him, to be a Christian, we first need to understand that he is the Lord over every area of our life. Again, we can't have one foot in the old and one foot in the new. A baby doesn't get to choose. No, 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 no. I want to stay where it was nice and warm. Once they're born, they're born. There's no turning back, right? Right? When we are born again, there is no turning back to the old. Jesus doesn't even remember the old. The the, the slate was wiped wiped clean. You might remember the old. Jesus doesn't. Right? Don't go back to those things. Are you giving Him Lordship over every area of your life? Are you allowing everything that you maybe used to like to do to be refined by Jesus? We talked about a few weeks ago. Are you giving up what you want? Are you allowing him to make you uncomfortable? If he asks you to do something that is tough, challenging or hard, are you going to do it? If he asks you tomorrow to share your faith with a coworker that maybe intimidates you, will you do it? Knowing that maybe you'll, you'll lose your job? Maybe it would cost you that relationship or that friendship? But if the Lord is telling you to do it, would you do it? Or would you say, ah, I'll do it next time. Next time I'm with that person one-on-one, I'll have that conversation. Next time. There might not be a next time. What if that person quits the job and you never see them again? Be so willing to give the Lord every air of your life that no matter what He says, you do. I'm always so encouraged If you all don't get to hear Chris and Steve's stories from the YMCA, they share them with us on Thursday nights most often. They literally have a ministry at the Y where they go and countless people they've led to the Lord. And it's not because Steve's carrying around a sign that says, I'm a Christian, come talk to me about Jesus. No. He's not walking around handing out tracts to people at the Y. He's just being led by the Spirit. Oftentimes, it seems it's in the sauna. And in those conversations, he's sparking up, hey, do you know Jesus? And it's incredible when you give up that space. Steve might see that person at the YMCA the next day. He doesn't care. Because what matters is the focus on eternity. We should yearn for every single person we come in contact to know Jesus. Why because we want to spend eternity with them, worshiping the King. We don't want anybody to perish. We don't want anybody to go the other way. So, in order for us to follow Him, we have to give up sometimes the things that we don't want to, give them to Him, and allow Him to dictate where we go. You see, when you understand that God Himself came to this earth as a man, died a painful death on the cross and then rose again 3 days later all because he loved you all you want to do is share that with people it just comes pouring out of you how many of y'all been really excited about something right your team won the super bowl you know what you talk about for the next week? Every single play from that Super Bowl because you're jazzed, you're pumped. Oh my gosh, you're a 49er fan, right Laura? Oh, do you see somebody wearing uh, whatever team? Oh, you're, do you remember that game? Oh, so cool. As a Packer fan, you know, there's Packer fans worldwide. You go and you see somebody with a Packer shirt. Oh, who's your favorite player? You get excited about it. You want to talk to people about it because you can relate to them. We should be the same way about the gospel. Hey, can I tell you about somebody that I just am in love with? Jesus, he loves you so much and cares for you. Would you be bold enough to have that conversation with a stranger? Or would you only do it if you saw somebody that was wearing a cross necklace or had a, you know, a faith shirt on? Oh, let's talk about our faith. It's really easy to talk to people that you're like-minded with. It's not always easy to talk with people about things that you maybe disagree with or they don't think the same way you do. But as Christians, it's important for us to have those conversations. Not to try and change their mind, but to allow the Lord to change their heart. Right? Sometimes as Christians, we want to fight the fight with our intellect and try and out-argue somebody. That's not our job. Our job is to approach people with love and grace and to help them see Jesus. Jesus. They don't see Jesus with you pointing out every single thing that's wrong in the world today. and oh I'll, No. Again, I, I know I say this a lot. I want to know how successful the people are with the microphone and the little speaker standing on the street corner of their soapbox telling everybody they're you know, going to hell. I just don't imagine that that is a very successful way to evangelize. Maybe it is if, for, you know, here and there. The best way for us to reach people is to do what Jesus did to us meet them where they're at, and allow them to see Jesus. Amen. Our focus should be eternal. The life that we live should be focused on eternity. So when we look, about, look at this verse, we need to get our focus off of ourself. We need to get our focus off of ourselves and onto others. We need to be comfortable knowing that there's going to be situations in our life where people aren't going to agree with us. And we have to be okay with that. We have to know how to defend our faith. And lastly, we need to know that in order for us to be a follower of Christ, we have to give Him all of our life. Not just portions, but all of it. Everything and everything. All of it. Our finances, our relationships, our friendships, our families. All of it. Give Him lordship over all of it and then i think you'll see him working you will see him working in your kids you will see him working in your siblings you'll see him working in your parents whoever it is you will see him at work in your finances all of a sudden you're gonna go wow where did all this money come from i don't know it's because you're following Jesus you're trusting him with every area of your life and that's what he asks of you that's what he asks of you in the early church it talks about this there was not a single person that had lack does that mean that there was just money fallen from the sky from heaven No. how did they do it they did it as a community they did it collectively they did it together in Christ right so when we want to follow Jesus, we need to get our focus off ourselves, know how to defend our faith, and be okay when things don't go our way and respond in grace and then meet people where they're at. Be okay giving the Lord every area of your life. Our focus should be eternal. I'm, really, I'm so excited. This is just some really, like, the Lord is just showing me some really cool stuff about what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus. You know, because I think it's so much more. Our, our faith is so much more than just, you know, an altar call, saying a prayer. Our faith is so much more than that. And that's how we start. We start by initiating and telling Jesus that we believe in Him. But He wants so much more. He wants us to have an impact for Him in our community. He wants us to have an impact for Him globally. And how easy it is today to connect with people, to have relationships with people, compared to what it was 50 years ago. 50 years ago, you wanted to talk to somebody, you picked up the rotary phone, you, know, you dialed it, and you talked to them, right? We joke because Cherie's parents, grandparents, had a party line. Some of y'all probably remember what those are. Maybe I've mentioned this. Everyone on the block was on the same phone line. So you could listen to your neighbor's phone conversations. How awkward would that be? Talk about airing your dirty laundry, right? Nowadays, it's so easy to connect with people. I would encourage you continue to be a light wherever you are at work in your homes and if you can on the first Sunday of the month go out with Sarah. There's so much power and impact when you can go out and share Jesus with people. Even if it's not on the first Sunday you can't make it do it at work. Grab some of those cards in the back. Give them to people. Maybe it's in a random chance encounter hey I'm going to give this to you. You might not think anything of it. And that person, maybe when they're at home, maybe they've been going through a tough time. All of a sudden, they read that and they go, oh, I need Jesus. And that's where the relationship starts. You might think it's a meaningless gesture. Here, take this card. It's not meaningless. It isn't. Amen?